What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition, episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Obsessions, regardless of kind or focus, are unhealthy. And this episode of Friday the 13th, the series, is a perfect sample to showcase why. A carnival. A roving wax museum of infamous characters. A handkerchief from Louis XVI's time. Obsession and death. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 7, Wax Magic. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. Three new programs spooling up. This is going to be a magical year instead of 2020 where the content that we have the honor of fostering Mm. is going to be becoming much larger very quickly. And three new programs are on the horizon. A fourth is in development also as kind of an offshoot for one of these for people that are looking for more in-depth content. But the three I want to talk about are the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. Dr. Mark has two podcasts that are coming out, but the very first one has been dubbed the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. Let me guess. It's going to be about athletes who are young and healthy. Exactly. That is exactly it. Or to stay healthy, actually, is more Ah, of the focus. Mark is a sports medicine doctor locally inside of St. Louis who is also the, and he hates it when I share this, but he is the preeminent doctor for concussions in the Midwest. Oh, and so while he doesn't like only talking about concussions, he loves talking about sports medicine, hmm. in particular with those that are young. Hence, the Healthy Young Athlete podcast. For those of you that have young athletes inside of your family or your focus, be sure to check that out soon. We'll have a link to it inside the show notes. And we'll have more details about his other accompanying podcast that is way more focused on doctors with all kinds of long words that Nick nor I will understand, but will be pleasantly entertained by because it's another podcast. Digitally Dispatched. Now, while we talk about digitally dispatched inside of a murder environment inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series podcast, Curious Goods, this doesn't really have anything to do with murder, though I guess murder is sometimes involved with it. The Dispatchers podcast. We've got a couple of local police dispatchers that are going to be launching a podcast that I can't wait to foster. The content's going to be spectacular. The educational value of it's going to be even more spectacular. So look for that podcast soon again, digitally dispatched. The last podcast that's coming aboard again, the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, is a wonderful program called Confessions of Mysteries and Miracles. What do you believe? This program is headed by three wonderful gentlemen, two of which are former police chiefs. The third is of a man of faith. And what they'll be talking about are the incidents and occurrences that the two police chiefs have seen over their time in law enforcement and how it either evolves into an in-depth, deep mystery or 
something else. And then they let you decide which way it goes. I think it's going to be tremendous. We've captured the first two episodes, both of which are spectacular and heartwarming. And I can't wait to share that again. That's the Confessions of Mysteries and Miracles. What do you believe? Look for more information about all three of these programs soon, both inside of our program, but then also over at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Nick, let's get to the retelling of this episode. Season two, episode seven. Wax Magic. It's time to be amused at the amusement park, or rather, a carnival. Inside this episode, we're given rockin' 80s nondescript music and stock footage that gets us rolling inside this episode, where the screams are coming from those in rides rather than running from horrors. Look, it's a diminutive gent. His name is Danny. He's gazing quietly over at the ticket taker for the Wax Museum of Infamous Characters. The ticket taker's having a hard time. She's having headaches and cannot focus her attention span, just like Nick. What? Huh? What are we doing? The diminutive man, Danny, offers Marie some more aspirin. Marie suddenly collapses, and as Danny tries to care for her, the wax artist's husband smacks Danny out of the way and takes Marie into the wax museum tent. The diminutive man, Danny, contemplates his next step. Inside the tent, Marie is being carefully looked after by her husband, who also has a doily, or uh, a handkerchief. He rubs it over a dark hooded figure who is holding an axe. Suddenly, the hooded figure with an axe springs to life. Ah! The figure stalks and accosts. Two young people, the hooded figure with an axe runs toward them. And then the end comes for both of them with two axe chops. Off with their heads. Back in the tent, the artist's husband kisses Marie on the cheek, who is now feeling much better. She begins to disrobe as he kisses her neck as we snap to Jack, closing up the Curious Goods antique shop. Ryan's finishing a phone call where yet another maiden has decided to be sick on a Friday because they're sick of Ryan. Er, uh, she's sick. Ryan definitely has no luck when it comes to the ladies. Poor luck at best, to be sure. Instead, Ryan invites Jack Marshak, man of action, to go to the carnival. But he can't go, of course, because there's a giant stack of newspapers that need review so that Jack can catalog all the data inside of them. That's how you stay on top of things. You go through all kinds of magazines and newspapers. It's not like they had the internet back then. Research, research, my friend. Mickey's out of town this week, and so no Mickey inside this episode. Oh, It's a boys' night out. Jack says no initially, but Ryan plays the age card. Jack dons his best inspector cap and heads for the carnival with Ryan. Ryan runs into Marie. You know, the one from the Wax Museum ticket-taking booth. The one with headaches and falling down spells and stuff. Her. That one. And he decides to buy a couple of drinks and gives one to Marie. She continues off and goes back to her ticket-taking window. The artist's husband welcomes Marie back, and it's time to pay attention to the Wax Museum. Step right up, step right up, take a look at the Waxy Wax Museum. Marie offers a custom tour of the pieces inside to Ryan. Each of the wax pieces are amazingly lifelike. What's back here? says Ryan. Oh, that's my husband's workroom. You know, the place where no one is allowed ever, especially inside of this episode of Friday the 13th series. Ryan's curiosity continues to pressure Marie to go back and check out the forbidden workshop room. Instantly, the husband artist springs to life and says that it's time for Ryan to leave. Marie, once again, collapses. Ryan is concerned, but the husband isn't. Ryan runs, literally, into the same diminutive man, Danny, who tries to share the tale, but then Jack interrupts. 
Hey, guess what? It's handkerchief time! You see, the handkerchief once again graces the black-hooded, axe-wielding figure, who finds two drunken country folk who are then accosted, attacked, and murdered outright! Off with their heads also! But during the scuffle, a wax finger pops off of the black-hooded assailant, Mike. Shortly thereafter, Marie reawakens, and her husband welcomes her back. And hey, it's time for more post-accident sex! Back at the Curious Good Shop, Ryan and Jack are talking about potentially interfering with the married couple's quarrel. Jack suggests caution. Ryan harumphs and exit, and as he does, Jack spies a new newspaper article talking about murders, decapitations, decapitations most foul at... The carnival! How convenient, Mike. Marie and her husband, whose name we find out is Aldwin Chase, are once again preparing the black hooded figure with an axe, who we find out is Lizzie Borden for the showroom floor. But Marie finds blood on the garments of Lizzie Borden. She screams! And her husband calms her down again. But the diminutive man, you know, Danny from outside, who doesn't really do anything but stare aimlessly at Marie, visits it again, but is once again bitch slapped. That sucks. Bitch slapped again is a diminutive man. Get out of here. Marie recoils and exits also. Ryan arrives at, of course, the recent murder scene and finds not police tape. Not people telling him to go away because there's an active investigation going on, but a wax figure! You know, the one that Nick talked about earlier inside of this retail. I'm important to the storytelling aspect, Mike. It's super important that Nick is here. That finger is one that the hooded axe-wielding figure Lizzie lost when attacking the two gentlemen. Back at the Curious Good Shop, Jack finds more newspaper articles that are talking about even more attacks recently. You know, the cities where the carnival is visited and instantaneously snaps into action because, of course, he is... Jack Marshak, man of action. Ryan, even though he's been told not to, chooses to visit with Marie again and they begin talking closely about her spells, the nightmares, and, oh my, someone's been killed by Lizzie Borden inside of her dreams. You see, Lizzie Borden, she killed her family with an axe way back. Aha! The artist Aldwin Chase interrupts once again, scares off Ryan, and off Marie goes as well. Hey, look, it's diminutive Danny underneath another table, sitting doing nothing but listening. How amazing is that? Oh, wait, who's at the top of the table? Why, it's Jack Marshak who's found Ryan. Jack shares that the murders occur everywhere the carnival appears. Hmm, isn't that interesting? and terribly convenient. Ryan shares that he found the wax finger recently. Another marvel of investigative reporting by Ryan. And they both head towards the wax figure tent. Ryan begins the deductive reconnaissance and finds the figure of Lizzie. As the next run of tour attendees is coming in, Ryan finds even more strange body parts and pieces that are incredibly lifelike. He continues to sift through the details and finds Danny, the diminutive man again, who needs to share something fast. The two head off to another tent with Jack. Aldwin Chase notices that someone has been trespassing because the rope near the no trespassing sign has been disturbed. Meanwhile, over in the other tent, where the diminutive Danny and Jack and Ryan are having a conversation, Danny shares that, you see, Marie gets sick. Often. And by the way, she's from Jamestown. I'm so glad that we know that she's from Jamestown because it has nothing to do with anything. It seems that while the carnival was in Jamestown, Marie didn't want to have anything to do with Aldwin Chase. Since that's how we're saying it, I guess. But then suddenly, a few weeks later, she shows up to the carnival and marries Aldwin outright. Amazing. Yes, very strange. Marriage amazing and most foul. Jack gives Danny a business card, and so now the game is afoot for Aldwin Chase. He stomps off to plan his next nefarious step. Nobody likes an eavesdropper, Mike. Ryan confirms that Marie is from Jamestown. It has nothing to do with anything that we're going to talk about during the rest of this episode, but hey, did you know? 
that Marie is from Jamestown, Nick? I think we've covered that. Are you sure? I just want to reiterate that Marie is from Jamestown. Let's put a button on Jamestown. Excellent. Jamestown, Marie is from there. Everybody got it? Good. Let's continue. You see, nothing that they can find inside of their investigation matches anything inside of the manifest. Nothing about enchanted wax or axe murderers, Mike. Nothing fits the puzzle. Back at the now-empty carnival grounds, diminutive Danny spies Marie heading into the foggy darkness. He follows shortly behind. (laughs) And is summarily murdered by Lizzie, who now looks suspiciously like Marie. After yet another fainting spell, Marie learns from Chase that Danny, the diminutive man from this episode, who sits under tables and watches people for no particular reason, has been found murdered. And Marie now isn't interested in sex or being caring at all to Chase. What? No more sex? I tell you what to do. Then she must now be enamored with Ryan. She insists that that's not the case. Chase requires that she start acting right or he'll give her the worst headache ever. What a keeper, Mike. Super keeper. Back at the Curious Good Shop, Jack has found more information and Ryan shares the newspaper that showcases that Danny, the diminutive man from previously inside the episode, is now dead. Jack's revelation? A handkerchief from Louis XVI. Hmm. It's on the manifest, and now it's involved in the murders. Jack and Ryan revisit Marie inside the carnival. Jack is busy snooping while Ryan listens to Marie's woes. Ryan probes into why she married Chase, the artist. As he does, she's lost in a haze. She remembers nothing before arriving at the carnival. Let me fill you in. She's from Jamestown. Remember? It doesn't make any difference, but now you know also. Say Jamestown one more time and I'm vaulting the desk. (laughs) And that every time someone is killed, the headaches she has are gone, aren't they? Hmm, very interesting. What did the doctors tell you about your spells? Ryan asks. She can't remember. Across the way, Jack finds nothing yet. (laughs) Ryan... Ryan says that he cares about what happens to her, and in walks Aldwin Chase, the spurned, angry husband artist. Hey, Rube! And in filters the Carney Horde. Hey, Rube is like a secret code for Carney folk. Shh, don't say it again, or they'll appear out of the oh, walls. Oh, that's, that's true. And now it's time for vengeance. The husband artist, Aldwin Chase, tells Marie that it's time for Ryan to be dealt with as he prepares to launch Lizzie with the handkerchief. As Jack and Ryan arrive back to the shop and begin talking about aimless stuff inside of this episode, Lizzie is on the loose, smashing everything to and fro. The axes are flying left and right boldly, and she makes a mess of the place. Slow motion ensues, and Ryan confronts her with an aerosol can and lighter. Nothing good happens with heat and wax. Lizzie stops us swinging for a moment, and then they lift the veil. <gasps> it's Marie! She now has a melted hand. I'm completely confused now, Mike. Oh, I'm not. You see, she's from Jamestown. I can jump with the duh! No, Nick, no! You see, as Lizzie kills people with the axe, she becomes more human again. Right. It doesn't make any damn sense to us either, but it's a piece of this episode inside of Friday the 13th, the series. Marie is Lizzie, and Lizzie is Marie? Gotcha. Whatever. On we go. Lizzie calls out to Ryan and asks to be taken home. Chase shows up with a gun and shoots Jack in the shoulder. Just a flesh wound. And grabs Lizzie and heads back to the carnival workshop room. Now, it's a race to the handkerchief. Chase arrives back at the workshop and prepares some wax to heal Lizzie. As soon as she's patched up, she won't remember anything. Woohoo! Marie slash Lizzie wonders why this was done and realizes that the nightmares weren't actually nightmares. You see, they were real. 
Killing the people that she has gives her life. Life! Chase wants to repair her so that things can be the same as before. Strange spells. Murdering. Sex. The pattern must repeat once again. Chase and Marie hear a thud coming from the other room. Thud. Inside the creepy hall of wax figures, Chase finds Ryan, who tackles him. And then a stabby face-off ensues from which Chase tries to stab Ryan and slices his arm. Marie tries to interrupt and knocks over the lamp inside of the incredibly fire-ridden wax workroom area. And a fire starts in the room. And while everyone can escape, Lizzie slash Marie chooses to walk into the fire and sacrifice herself. She begins to melt into something incredibly pedestrian and a blob of goo. Chase screams. Ryan is horrified. The wax figure of Lizzie Borden melts to nothingness. Ryan and Jack sends Mickey inside of this episode reflect on the day's events. Turns out after the investigation, most of the wax figures in Aldwin Chase's museum were actual people covered in wax. Wow, that's amazingly interesting and something that should have been used inside of this episode because that's way more interesting than anything that we've talked about during this entire retelling. Probably should have been brought up except for the last, like, two minutes of the episode. Yeah, I agree. And the handkerchief of Louis XVI is finally... Recovered! An electric retelling of this episode, season two, episode seven. Wax magic. There's always goods and bads inside of each episode of Friday the 13th, this series. Let's get to the goods. Believable tent space slash location. I really do think that we might want to just throw this out into a piece of our episode because it's easily one of the most fun pieces we talk about. Yeah. It's really something that this show gets and gets wonderfully. Despite quality of episode... Almost every episode has something interesting where either location or set dressing is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that whole, the production design vein of yeah. everything inside of the show. It can be a two star episode, but at least things still look good. Yeah. I totally agree with that. This is no exception. You're getting what uh, some of the footage from the carnival looked like stock footage. It was shot on a completely different camera set, mm-hmm. but you can tell now because it's been so many years and the footage is reasonably crappy. You know, the the tent space that they make, whether the tents were there or not, we don't know. Right. But it it all matched and looked terribly appropriate. It was all very, very good. Something that we have to mention is that clearly, without question, there were people standing very still as wax figures inside of this episode. It was tremendous. It it instantly adds, especially with the lighting that they chose to use inside of the the tent space. Mm. It was very, very effective, and I'm really glad that they chose that. I've been to a handful of wax museums, and depending on, I guess, your artist team, mm-hmm. some of them are incredibly lifelike. Really, really good, yeah. And some of them are like, what, you and I what went the there. hell? Yeah. Did I, I, did I, I make this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. Where the, where the life piece is mm. missing. There's a difference between, even in portraits or caricatures, really, is what yeah. I would focus on. But inside the caricature, there is a piece of life that you want to infuse into what you make. And they do exactly the same thing with wax figures, where, well, everybody thinks it's just a, a 3D portrait of whatever the person is. There's, a, there's another elevated step that wax artists can get to mm. when they're making their pieces. Right. And I love it when that happens. When it doesn't happen, though, what it looks like is it looks like a portrait that some dude made. Yeah. Rather than capturing and bringing one of the famous people to life in wax. Well, think about the budgetary expenses right there it's mm-hmm. they could have either spent a whole lot of money to get some really good looking wax figures or get one or two wax figures and then put actors in costumes and just say mm-hmm. hold really still yeah. and don't focus on them camera wise yeah and it worked yeah there's there's even a vein of actors they're not all mimes but there's a vein of actors that are known and renowned for standing still mm. the sample i remember hearing that about was uh, inside of the commentary for the matrix and that very first scene the lady with the red dress 
Mm-hmm. That whole scene is populated with actors that know how to stand incredibly still. Okay. So that while you think that it was all digital kickassery, and it was, there was a lot of digital kickassery going on inside of that. A lot of it is just people that know how to stand very still for long periods of time. Yeah. Because that too is an art. It's not just, hey, Nick and I are going to stand here and be incredibly still and do nothing. Right. It doesn't work that way. You have It's a skill set you have to develop just like anything else. The bad, bad guy. Wow. They took Aldwin Chase inside this episode and were able to excel wonderfully. This is a guy, the character of Aldwin is a guy that, through the narrative of the story, you're like, I don't trust this guy, to, wow, I don't like this guy, to, holy shit, this guy's a piece of crap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I really love, too, is his, his look, especially his eyes and nose, they remind me of the actor Robert O'Reilly. Do you know who that is? Robert O'Reilly is Galron inside of the Next Generation Star Trek series. Mm. And his eyes are incredibly striking. Just they, they pierce you when you look at them. Right. And this guy's got that too. It's not just his, his mullet quaff. It's not just his attitude. He's, he's actually very diminutive. He's very very much smaller than Ryan. But he is that... That, that little tiny package that's firecracker-filled and showcases it throughout the episode. Yeah. Well, something that I wanted to bring up, and I actually kept hidden throughout the entire rewatch of the episode, and while we were compiling show notes... Uh-oh, here it comes. Uh-huh. Usually, this would uh, land somebody in at least a talking point in the bad, simply because I don't like how they do this, but mm-hmm. we've seen this actor before mm. in this show mm-hmm. as a bad guy. Mm. And forget, forgive me for butchering the last name, but the actor Angelo Rizakis, I hope I said that right. If you has, didn't, I'm sure he's going to come and get you. I, yes, I'm sure he will. Board and wax I would actually, I would love it if he would come and get me. We'd be able to get him on the show. <laughs> he was actually in the season one episode, The Electrocutioner. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's the bald guy. He's the guy executed for murder but didn't die, mm. but then found was innocent. Mm. Changed his name and became a dentist, took the electric chair that he was quote unquote killed in Mm -hmm. and turned it into an electric chair to steal the life essence of teenagers so that he could get revenge on all the people responsible for killing him. Eli Pittman was was the character's name in that episode. Mm. And the only reason why I remember why I remember that character is not because it's the same actor. I remember it because I remember saying, "Wow, look at that guy that shaved his head." And then we get viewer comments that say, "You're an idiot. That guy had a bald cap on." Uh, <laughs> okay, thanks. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe we're not the idiots. Although, let's just say this. It took him a very long time to grow that sweet ass mullet he was wearing <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. The reason why I don't have this as part of the bads is because there was such a drastic change between his performance as Eli Pittman mm-hmm. and his performance not, as Aldwin yeah. Chase. Yeah. It, it, it's not the, It's not only not the same character, it's not the same actor doing exactly the same thing with a different outfit on. Right, right. That is so appreciated. It is. It, it also is rare. Uh, very often, especially inside of television, people will get cast into... The, the same stereotypical position, regardless of what show that they appear on, and maybe they'll have a different outfit on. But hey, look, it's exactly the same person. Right. And that they were able to do that with him, I have no idea, but it was grand. It was very good, very good. The Lizzie Borden outfit. Wow, this was spectacular. I think what I liked most was that you couldn't actually tell if it was a man or a woman. Mm hmm. I, that was easily the, the the piece that got me at the front end because Chase was so small. I I instantly thought that there was a male figure underneath the hood, mm, and I was okay. just totally wrong. I had no idea. Even the, um, the hands that they show that are wielding the axe don't instantly come off as, look, it's female hands. Right. Add that on, add the flowing ability of the, the dress outfit. That was provided. I loved everything yeah. about Lizzie and the the figure that they made and the camera angles that they chose. Uh, in particular, what's going to be my manifest moment later on inside this episode. 
The interesting thing about it is, is it, it, it's striking. It definitely works for the visual medium, but as uh, an interpretation of Lizzie Borden herself, it's kind of weird that it would be this this black shrouded character mm-hmm. because. Well, well, if you know anything about the case of Lizzie Borden... Born in 1860, not in Jamestown. Right. She was never convicted mm-hmm. of killing her parents because they couldn't find enough evidence. Right. Which has led people to believe that she actually murdered her father and her stepmother naked to not have to worry about evidence being... Le- the blood from, you know, swinging the axe would be on any clothes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know conspiracy theories about the whole case very interesting if you look into it so the fact that she's this black shrouded character it could have been anybody Mm -hmm. it could have been a made-up figure from murderous figure from history i thought it was just going to be the reaper well when we first started could have just been the reaper inside of the retail i don't usually give the behind the scenes creation stuffs but inside the notes that's what i put it as i thought it was just the reaper until we got further into the story when you find out that it is lizzie borden i have no idea the whole naked thing that's very interesting and again when i think of lizzie borden before this episode i never would have thought of like a hooded figure i would have thought like uh, a, a teenager with pigtails, kind of like a like like a twisted Wendy from the Wendy's restaurant with right. an axe. Yeah, that's kind of what I would have thought. And that they chose to go clad in a shroud, you can't see her face. Well, you got to do that to axe. help perpetrate the twist, even though it wasn't yeah, all yeah. that great of a twist. I, I, but I, we'll, I, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. We absolutely will. So those are the goods we found inside this episode. I'm curious. What do you guys remember and think was good inside of this episode, Season 2, Episode 7? Wax Magic. Let us know what you think by going over to our website that's Curious Goods Podcast. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series has goods and bads. We've covered the goods. Now we're going to take a look at some of the not so goods confusing cursed object and mechanics now in a show that focuses on the acquisition of cursed items and you can't understand what the hell your cursed item does you run into a problem yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) run into a problem Uh, I, i almost think that even more important then the actual object itself, and at least the object being compelling, is the mechanics of right. what the thing does. It, it needs to make sense. Yeah, yeah. Because th- there is the that's the supernatural element, and if you make things overly complicated, then it's harder to swallow the supernatural element for viewers. Yeah, it should be simple. Now this one, it's a handkerchief that was given to Madame Tussaud, who did a wax death mask. Of Louis the Sixteenth, shortly before you know the French Revolution, she got out of town, but she was paid by Louis with his handkerchief. Okay, nice little twist on having a connection to history, but where does it say in the curse that okay, so you put this handkerchief on a wax figure, and it has to be wax because it was Madame Tussaud, so it has to be a wax figure that comes to life. I mean, it would make a little bit more sense if it was an inanimate object that had human-like features. So wax figure, mannequin, something like... Again, there's no real detail to it. It's just... And it does what? Again, just riffing on what this could have been. What if it was like a hand, a wax hand from a figurine from way back then, and you could pop one of the fingers off and put it onto another wax figure and it comes to life? Or something. Something where it's... There is an attachment to what is going on that impacts something else. And what they chose to use here with the handkerchief, I, I, I was I, not only did I not care, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't captivated at all. I did not understand what, what happens. Well, the fact that early in the episode, it's it's made like really, really clear that Marie and the Lizzie Borden figure are separate. And I guess we're supposed to believe that that's why it's shrouded, but it's still got blood on its dress when Marie is cleaning it off the next day. 
I think a better way to handle the episode, and and maybe this was a, a quick rush job where the writing was concerned, but it would make more sense if, yes, Marie is made of wax, but the more that this Lizzie Borden figure murders, the life essence is transferred into this wax figure that's that is Marie's body, but it's been encased in wax. Yeah. So the more and more bodies that Lizzie kills, the more human wax Marie becomes. And that's still complicated, yeah. but it would make more sense than what we got. The, the faster we would have delved into making the infamous wax figures come to life, I would have been way more interested inside this episode. Well, yeah, because we learn at the very end of the episode that Aldwin had been covering people in wax, and that's why his figures were so lifelike. Yeah. Why weren't we dealing with that during the episode? Yeah. That's it, more sinister. Yeah. The story of a guy taking people and covering them in wax to be his wax sculptures is a hell of a lot more creepy yeah. than this convoluted thing that we got. What I also don't understand is, okay, so the, the people are decapitated. And because then, of the connection to Lizzie Borden, but okay. it has nothing to do with Lizzie Borden because it's Madame Tussauds. Handkerchief that she got from Louis the Fifteenth, who was beheaded, is mm-hmm. sick. Louis the Sixteenth, yeah, who was also beheaded. So, I, mm-hmm. uh, okay, I, I don't know. It, again, it starts to get convoluted, and then when I, I just, I think of all the potential lines that could have been made to make something more salient. Yeah, with you know, imagine all the infamous characters that were being portrayed there. There was a gangster. There was you had Bonnie and Clyde, yeah. uh, uh, Sweeney Todd, Jesse James. I mean, you you had a litany of baddies that you could have made come to life and fight our characters. Yeah. The mechanics of this doesn't even work because yeah. if her if the wax finger came off during a scuffle during a murder, and Marie was Lizzie, then why didn't she fall apart during sex with Aldwin? You know, if, know. if 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 the wax finger can come off so easily in a tussle with a cowboy, a drunk cowboy, how is she staying firm during <laughs> lovemaking? I don't know. Again, it, it's convoluted, and I, I love the wax figure aspect. Mm-hmm. I love the incorporation of Lizzie Borden, an axe-wielding figure. I love all that. Mm-hmm. I can even deal with... Girl that has seizures slash dizzy spells and and headaches and blah. Okay, all right. And I love the carnival aspect. I even love the overarch of there's a an incredibly insanely jealous husband that's involved. All of those things are great. And so how do we join them all? And the join them all, we chose to grab a handkerchief that really has nothing to do with anything of what I've just told you. Yeah. And that's where we are when we look back on it as an episode. Very strange. Super precariousness of Ryan's care. We've made mention on the show before, Ryan seems to have fallen in love at the drop of the hat (laughs) for any pretty face. Yeah. Mm. And okay, fine. He's a young man, of course. Sure. I, I totally get it, story-wise. Totally get it. Character-wise, young guy, always always looking for that next true love. Right. Totally understand. Yep. In this episode, there is the pump the brakes moment when he finds out that Marie is married. Right. But then, oh, her husband's an asshole, so I'll, I'll just I'll continue to uh, yeah. stick around and maybe... Maybe I can figure out why she's with this asshole. <laughs> and then, of course, as the episode goes along, he's a bad guy. He he totally is a bad guy. Oh, yeah. And it is good that Ryan is there trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. But in the real world, what should have happened is, oh, wow, you're in an abusive relationship. I'm going to notify the authorities. Hopefully that takes care of the problem. That is not what happens here. No. I, I, I get it because of the story. You needed him to constantly insert himself. So, so therefore, the, the jealous asshole husband has every right to be angry at Ryan for sniffing around his wife. But when you get to the end of the episode and, you know, you find out, oh, well, this isn't really Marie. It's it's dead Marie, wax, waxified and being brought back to, uh, to animated life because of the murdering of other people, all because of a handkerchief. Yeah, see, I didn't get any of that. I'm not kidding. The first time you mentioned that was after we finished the capture of the retail. Yeah. And I got none of that. Uh, beyond going, you and you encase people in, 
in wax, and that's why they look real. Mm-hmm. The encapsulation of Marie, I had none of that. I had none of that. Yeah, yeah. And that's not good. That's, that's a huge piece of the storytelling that's completely missing because of the makeup of the episode. So I, I don't know. We like poking fun at Ryan because he seems to get himself into more trouble than he absolutely needs to. Yeah. But in the universe where this show exists, I totally get why he was doing it. But the practicality of it, it, it's why we had to mention it in the bads. Because, come on, man. Yeah. Get some outside help. You're not the hero. Right. Uh, well, he is the hero, but you're not the hero. Yeah. That uh, th- Again, it's that... I think the thing that bugs me the most is that, like, you can obviously not step outside of your own purview and go, hey, look, I'm a young man approaching this incredibly attractive young lady that is married, and I'm trying to help, and that's why I'm sitting two and a half feet from her. Right, right. I know. And and I, it, it all is, it, it's that, it's the cringy f- part of all of that that happens, and... Again, it's it's a giant shields up moment, especially when you're getting as old as Ryan is. I love Ryan's character, but he suffers from white knight syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. eventually, uh, and I'm I'm hoping that this happens. Eventually, he needs to start becoming a little bit more cautious yeah. where that is concerned. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, well, that's shame on the writers for for not inserting more jadedness in his character. But if it does happen, kudos because. After being involved with so many females and then becoming either hurt or at least affected by his surroundings and him being, you know, a hunter of cursed items, there needs to become an awareness of maybe I shouldn't be getting involved with anybody. Yeah. Falling apart, third act. We covered a little of this during our previous point, but we're going to dive headfirst into breaking this down because you had Act 1 and Act 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, this all kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's at least entertaining. And then you get to Act 3, and I'm like, we're, we're both sitting here like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Right. What? What? Yeah. I, so, don't, I don't understand how a lot of the pieces that I even think are good yeah. inside of the third act actually got inserted in like the last five minutes of them capturing the actual <laughs> episode. I, I don't get it. The whole wax wax over real people thing. There's, I think, an entire another episode yeah. where they could use- That should a, have been the episode that we got. Yeah. And that that was the big piece. This this The whole tryst of what's going on with Marie and Ryan and Chase- I'm I'm it's not that I'm disinterested, but I'm here for the objects and the recovery of those objects as opposed to this thing that I don't care about. Yeah. I even if Marie wasn't married, I don't know that I would be interested in Ryan getting involved with a gal that's inside of a carnival for any particular reason at all. She's going to be gone in a week. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere between what we got and something really, really solid. There was there was a lot of really great makeup here, and I just oh, I don't yeah. think we got it. Yeah, but we didn't we didn't get it. We were they did not deliver. Sadly, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, those were the things that we thought needed a little bit of work. But we want to know what you thought should have been in the bads category. Reach out to us at our website at curiousgoodspodcast.com. Fill out the contact form and let us know what you thought could have used some work in this episode. It's time to take a break here during the Curious Goods Podcast. We will be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. 
here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. everyone. Welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 7, Wax Magic. Every time Nick and I come back from break, it's time to reveal our manifest moments. Our manifest moment is where Nick and I find either a character portrayal, a piece of the storytelling that's utilized inside the episode, or something else that trips our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? My manifest moment for this episode is going to have to be the lack of Mickey. Hmm. Interesting. I have to go back and double check, but I am almost 99.9% sure that this is the first episode that Mickey wasn't in. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that her inclusion could have made this episode better. It might have. Doubtful. I, I mean, I, I, the writers didn't seem to really know what they were doing, so they probably would have just misused Mickey as well. I, I don't know what it is. It seems like we're we're now relying very heavy on the story having to revolve around somebody wanting to hook up with somebody else that just so happens to be connected to a cursed object. Mm. We've seen that quite a bit this season so far and we're only seven episodes in yeah i don't mind the fact that mickey was gone because it is nice to see a jack and ryan episode Mm -hmm. because i do like their dynamic Mm -hmm. but you can definitely feel the absence of mickey in this one unlike unlike jackless episodes i agree because it seems like mickey and ryan do make a good team with jack not being around Mm -hmm. but when you get to the point to where there's no mickey that there was something that was missing in this episode and it was probably her. And that is my manifest moment. I think I'm going to jump on the other side of that mostly because I, I don't know what we would do with yet another damsel in distress when inside of this one, we've the front end of the damsel in distress is actually the same character. I don't know. I, I think it would have gotten even more murky than it was inside this episode. If we'd have had, if she, if she was there, wouldn't it be interesting if maybe she, maybe chase, has done this before mm. and get becomes obsessive with other women mm. and he starts getting bored with Marie and now he sees Mickey. So or Mickey maybe, is going to be his new encased victim. Yeah, Maybe after a, a number of kills, then whomever is going to assume the Lizzie Borden role mm. has to go take on the Lizzie Borden there role. You've got to find a new one. Yeah. That's See, we've just re- we, we several different <laughs> options. We have rewritten this episode yeah. at least four different ways, making it more interesting yeah. than what we've already got. Yeah, I would. I, I'm just telling you that the the wax figure thing is just ripe for all kinds of great storytelling, and I so wish we'd have gotten something different inside of this. Yeah, one. my manifest moment from this episode comes shortly before the end of this episode, and it is launching Lizzie. Borden. As soon as Lizzie shows up inside of the Curious Good Shop, unleash hell. Oh, yeah. She jumps down kick, from the second floor. Kick ass. I absolutely loved it. 
every single shot that they had, the intent of everything that was captured in camera, with the possible exception of anything that was slow motion from Jack Marshak, <laughs> was spectacular. It instantly engaged me, and it was easily, without question, throughout the entire episode, with maybe the exception of the starings of diminutive Danny inside of this episode, my manifest moment. It was, it was tremendously well done. It, what it reminded me of was all of the scenes inside of the Lord, the original Lord of the Rings film, where they show the ring wraiths. Yeah. Still to this day, now my God, is that twenty years now? It's almost twenty years that those movies were released. The moments that are captured inside of that very first Lord of the Rings film, they capture everything that is uber kick ass about the ring wraiths is very much represented inside of that Lizzie Borden unleashed moment inside of this yeah. episode very very well done that's what we ask you guys what was your manifest moment inside of this episode season 2 episode 7 wax magic let us know by going over to our website over at curiousgoodspodcast.com click anywhere inside the contact form fill it out and tell us what you think vocabulary time to wax philosophic about words uh, yes i've been waiting all episode to use that and so we engage our first word thanks to our friends over at visualthesaurus.com is waxwork waxwork comes back with a definition of a twinning shrub of north america having yellow capsules enclosing scarlet seeds very interesting, but not nearly anything that we want to pay attention to inside this episode. It also lists it as an effigy, usually of a famous person made of wax. There you go. That's the ticket. That's definitely the ticket and what was used wonderfully inside of this episode. Again, total kudos for using real people inside of costumes that stood incredibly still that really added to the impact and probably the budgetary problems right. inside of this episode. Our next word or phrase is Rube. We are, of course, lovingly referring to the piece of this masterpiece episode where Aldwin Chase drops in on Ryan and Marie and instantly cries out, Hey, Rube! Now, I had no idea what in the hell this means. In fact, I thought he said, Hey, Rube! And then everybody from the corners of the carnival appear and in, in an effort to assist a, a fellow carny inside of the carnival atmosphere. I've never heard of any of this, but you apparently have and know everything about it, Nick. Well, I don't know everything Former about Former carnival it. worker. Right, exactly, yes. I spent a lot of time. He was the, he was uh, the bearded lady. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you. I've heard the term before in other films and televisions that really? uh, have revolved around carnivals. And, wow. Yeah, yeah. Rube. A rube, and, and it's also a slang term used back in 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 olden times, the nineteenth century, for somebody that has easily gotten over on one. You know, a, a con man right. would call a mark a rube. Okay, you know, and and in this, Danny even says that Marie was a townie. You know, a rube like you two. Mm. So, uh, so the uh, the fact that he yells "Hey, rube!" just doesn't make any sense to me, though. I would think something more like Carney's Assemble. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Now, see, if that would have happened inside this episode, instant, <laughs> instant 10. ten. Instant ten. Instant yes, ten. Yes, exactly. Instant ten. No matter how the, oh, how man. bad the ending was. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carney's the, Assemble. The term Rube. What's the definition on that? According to our friends over at VisualThesaurus.com. We're going to give you two definitions. The first one is from our friends over at Visual Thesaurus. And for Rube, it has... A person who is not very intelligent or interested in culture. Very interesting. Mm, okay. I, I would not have guessed that. Mm. Informally, more from the Wikipedia side of things, hey rube is actually a slang phrase most commonly used in the United States by circus and or traveling carnival workers, also known as carnies, with origins in the middle 19th century. It is a rallying call or a cry for assemblage or help used by carnies to fight with outsiders. It is also sometimes used to refer to such a fight, i.e., the clown got a black eye and a hey rube. 
Interesting. Very interesting. In the early days of circuses in America, i.e. 1800 to 1860, it was very common for carnies to get into fights with the locals as they traveled from town to town. Yeah. Circuses were rowdy, loud, and often lewd affairs where country people would gather, blow off steam, and voice political views. Very interesting. We're going to link off to this article, too, inside of Wikipedia. But it's something I'd never heard before and was an alien concept inside of this episode. Not so much so that it turned me off, but it absolutely made me perk my ears up because I didn't actually know what the guy said. And you know what? As long as you learn something new every day, things are going well. Our next word is... Obsession. Ah, an irrational motive for performing trivial or repetitive actions, even against your will. Also, an unhealthy and compulsive preoccupation with something or someone. I think we're focusing on the second definition there where this episode is concerned, Mike. Without question. And I think it's wonderfully showcased inside of this. Where we not only have somebody that has lost all reason... Not simply because of insert supernatural thing, right. but because reason has been chucked out the window. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> along with the with the headless corpses of people all over the place. So very, very interesting. And again, uh, obsessions are an impactful part of many storytelling things inside of not just the horror genre, but many genres that need something as a centerpiece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it really does allow you to lob a bunch of attention span and focus. Uh, hopefully that eventually you'll get to either see the actors and how intense their focus or obsession is with people mm-hmm. or that you also then for at least the period of the movie will have that same obsession and that enhances your taking in of what you're watching. Right. And I thought that was a that was a piece that's a home run inside this episode. Yes. But one of the reasons why we chose this word to be our vocabulary is this stuff like men treating women like objects, like Aldwin does with Marie, even though in the universe in which this takes place she was kind of an object because she was a a, a wax figure. Th- that's regardless. Trying to treat another person, whether it be male or female, as an object, that's just no bueno. Yeah. That's something that was going on back then, was going on way before then, and is continuing now, and we need to put a stop to that, folks. Yeah, that's really interesting. And again, I, I love the the little chemistry set you and I set up because, it, I mean, if we go dimes to dollars, well, he was obsessing over an inanimate object. True. True. And so... <laughs> Just it's this, all about your perspective. It, oh, it truly is your perspective inside of this episode. And that's where we ask you guys, what did you find out of this episode that had an interesting vocabulary note to it? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what words would you like us to focus on and talk about when it comes to this episode. Ah, the rating inside this episode, inside of Friday the 13th, this series, Season 2, Episode 7. Wax Magic. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on one side of the scale. A leaping Lizzie Borden chopping heads left and right. Incredibly delicious. A 1 is on the other side of the scale. Bringing up that 30 seconds before the episode ends... All the people that are inside the museum are actually real people covered in wax. Everything starts at a seven. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? This happens to be one of the episodes I remember watching when I was younger, when I was a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I remember watching this episode is because it had remnants of a film from around the same time period really? called Waxworks. Hmm. And very cheesy, tongue-in-cheek horror flick about a wax museum that uh, when you step over the velvet rope, you're transported to the scenery in which the... the display is Hmm. so if you see some 
a werewolf transforming in a log cabin, you're all of a sudden transported to the woods where there's a, a log cabin, and oh, guess what? That guy's going to turn into a werewolf. Hmm. It, it was cute. It, it was fun. Even something like that would have been a better story agree. than what we got. Mm-hmm. There was, and we seem to talk about this for the for the episodes that just don't quite pass the muster, there's all the elements. You've got all the right elements for a great story, and it gets muddled Mm -hmm. because you try to make things just a little bit too confusing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, even though I enjoyed watching this episode, where my rating is concerned, I have to rate this episode a five. The scenario that you bring up here towards the end of your rating stuffs, I think, is terribly appropriate. Mm. I would I would kind of cobble it together like, let's make a really fine crafted piece of cabinetry. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. So we've got all the tools. Yep. And it's taken years to collect all the tools. Fine. We've got that wonderful piece of cherry wood yep. that took okay. us years to find the right piece that was big enough. We had to save off the budget to go get that piece of wood. We've got the wood on the table and... By the way, where did I put my play school hammer and saw set? <laughs> and let's go. And that's kind of what this felt like. It feels like we're taking a delicious piece of cherry wood, i.e. the concept of a roving wax museum of infamous characters and somehow something cursed from the legendary of the curious goods shops, contents, and inventory has to impact something going on inside of it. Ready? Go. And you've got to be kidding me. Mm, yeah. One of the pieces that we have not talked about, however, is the real tie to history that is always appreciated inside of programs like this. You and I have talked about this several times inside of episodes where they're leeching from history. Yeah. And there's even talk of what happens inside of this episode where... You, you take all the figures that are used, Jesse James, Bonnie and Clyde, all of those things. Those are all things that could have been somehow showcased or utilized as touchstones inside of the storytelling of this episode that could have then helped to really staple down what is going on with whatever the object is. Yeah. And they did none of that. There's nothing used. You and I have joked lovingly about Jamestown inside of this episode, so much that you vaulted the desk on me on it. And you know what importance it has inside this episode? Zero. Nothing. There is, there's nothing except to indicate that the carnival had stopped at a town. That's it. It right. has absolutely nothing to do with it. The, the graft of that Lizzie Borden is Marie, I think that that's completely lost on everybody mm-hmm. until the last gasp of this episode. The literal gasp. Of this episode. Uh, something we didn't talk about in the negatives either was what I thought was reasonably old crap wax melting ness inside of this episode. I realize that when we look back on history, we put the mother of all wax things melting of Raiders of the Lost Ark on the top of the heap. <laughs> There's no question. There's been other movies that have done it, but the real wax melting was of that fig- those figures. Right. And to try and put this anywhere inside the same realm is laughable. I mean, it, it's it's just not. Yeah. I even think they might have used a wax figure with kind of maybe real fake eyes in it. And that the, the whole melting scene, it just took too damn long. You, you know why the people inside of Raiders made that melt so much quicker? Is because it needs to melt so quicker. That, that piece was lost on me, as was the vast majority of the third act. That's kind of where I go with the, the foundations of how we're going to need to rate this episode. It's what could have been. Mm-hmm. And I, I so miss that we couldn't, even if, if even if it wasn't one of the things that we come up with, one of the things that you guys come up with, that would have been a better take on what's going on inside of a wax museum. And so while you'll carefully give this a five, I have to dig down a little bit deeper and toss it into the grave of four. That's where we ask you guys, what did you give this episode? Season 2, Episode 7. Wax Magic. Tell us what your magical number was inside of this episode by going over to our website. Again, that's Curious Goods Podcast. Fill out the web form and tell us what you rated this episode. 
Uh, always fun inside the Curious Goods podcast to capture mm-hmm. yet another review of Friday the 13th, the series. They're not all winners, they're but def- at least it was fun. They're definitely not all winners. And In fact, uh, speaking of not being a winner, something mm. I did want to bring up before we end the episode for this episode. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't appreciate you vaulting the desk on me previously. I thought it was kind oh, of an asshole move. Oh, oh really? Yeah. yeah. I, I did warn you, Mike, that I, if you mentioned Jamestown again, I, I, I was going to vault the desk. I know that you did. I am a man look, of my word. Right, but look... I have to issue the rallying cry the, in vengeance. What? Vengeance most foul. Hey, Rube! What the, what the, where the hell did all these people yeah, come from? Yeah, what are you going to vault now, huh? Hey, huh? hey, no, no. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. lively retelling where I will insert myself where I see needed. Please insert yourself. (laughs) You're such a good one. All right, right, so this is the Curious Kids podcast for Season 2, Episode 7. Wax Magic. (laughs) I can't wait to hear that seven times. It's great. (laughs)